Welcome, fellow explorers. My name is Christian Alexanderson, and this is Hemlocks to Hellbenders, a podcast highlighting Pennsylvania's parks, forests, and great outdoors. On this episode, we're going to be learning about the Pennsylvania Game Commission, what it does, and the issues it faces managing more than 480 species in the state. I'm excited to welcome Todd Pride to the podcast. Todd is a member of the Pennsylvania Game Commission, as well as founder of the Legacy Land and Water Partners. He's also the lead coach with the Mid-Atlantic Youth Anglers and Outdoor Partners. Todd, welcome to the program. Thank you, Christian. Uh, thank you for the invitation and opportunity to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about the Pennsylvania Game Commission and what it does? I am a new member of the commission. Um, was, uh, I guess, unanimously approved and voted on by the Pennsylvania Senate in July, along with my um, neighboring um, commissioner, Bob Schwamm, who um, is from District 8 and, and I'm District 9. So uh, we are both you know, new here in our roles with the Game Commission. I am I'm learning, I'm sharing. You know, I ask people to come on this this journey with with me and us, um, not just with this podcast, but but ongoing um, in, in learning and understanding the, the Game Commission. The, the core and the important element for our listeners and for all of us is to, to really understand that we we are in the PGC. It's again, you, myself, you know, our residents here in the state of Pennsylvania, we are all a part of the, the Game Commission. Um, you know, our state's wildlife are owned by the residents of the, the state. You know, they are not owned, okay, by private landowners, um, not owned by the Game Commission. And so the PGC's role is our, we are our state's wildlife management agency. In the late 1800s, wildlife was dwindling as a result of deforestation, pollution, and unregulated hunting and trapping. From that period, the Game Commission emerged. How does it manage the Commonwealth's wildlife resources? Well, you know, it started, as you touched on, in, in 1895. The uh, agency was formed, you know, largely because uh, we did not have regulations for our, our wildlife species, particularly our, our species of, of interest and in pursuit of, of, of hunters, um, you know, white-tailed deer, elk, other species that we, that we have. So. You know, that was at the core of the formation of the agency at that time, you know, one of the first agencies in, in the country. And that largely is the, the focus uh, now. What sort of issues do wildlife face in Pennsylvania? Well, it, it, I would say it, it's coming from every single direction. We are fortunate in, in this state to have the number of organizations, nonprofit, uh, both local, regional, and national organizations committed to um, the same kinds of things that the PGC is focused on, whether or not that's the Autobahn Society and their, you know, local, state, regional chapters, um, Ducks Unlimited, National Wild Turkey Federation, National Deer Association. So let me just say that, um, you know, all of us as a collaborative are focused, you know, effectively on, on the same thing, um, which is managing the state's wildlife and habitat. The threats that we're we're dealing with, um, you know, a uh, number of people don't like to hear the term climate change. Um, I sometimes just simplify it and I'll just throughout, you know, this discussion will maybe reference the term KISS. We just keep it simple, simple. Um, you know, we, we have uh, temperature uh, changes that are happening, which, you know, are, are rising water temperatures, which you know, have the effect that it does on our aquatic species, which are, you know, um, sister agency, fishing, the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission is responsible for. And that affects all elements of wildlife, whether or not those are the habitats for our waterfowl, 
our birds, um, when our, our waterways dry up, um, you know, whether or not it's ponds or creeks, you know, that needed source of water has um, obviously a significant impact on our, our wildlife. Um, you know, all of our wildlife have home ranges. So, you know, while our uh, avian species, our birds and our migratory birds and others travel far distances, you know, our other species remain where they are. So when we have some of these changes that we do, it has significant impact. You know, one of the other major issues uh, we are dealing with, which is uh, the, the growth of our population and the demographic changes that we're, we're having. Um, COVID has accelerated something that we've seen for many years, which is, you know, uh, more and more people are moving from our urban centers into suburban environments, into rural environments. It's what um, my district eight effectively represents. Um, you know, I shared with uh, uh, the first reporter I spoke to back in August um, when he, he had referenced um, about, you know, the urban element of, of district eight. And I said, yes, we, we are that, but we are, we are an urban, suburban and rural district. And so uh, that element of having, you know, people in and, and growing in, in all areas of our state is a big issue that we're dealing with. Um, you know, on my professional side of what I, I do outside the Game Commission, my work activities, you know, we started a few years ago in trying to address the, the uh, deer and wildlife collision issue, which is a direct result of, um, you know, population shifts, uh, more development uh, from residential, commercial, industrial. Um, you know, roads being put in where they weren't before. Um, so, you know, I would say those are kind of our, our big challenges. Um, and then, you know, one that we'll spend some time on here is uh, kind of one of my priority elements is chronic wasting disease. Well, let's talk about the one you brought up uh, towards the end, chronic wasting disease. Uh, what is it? Well, chronic wasting disease is a um, neurological disease. And I'll, I'll repeat the, the words that you just said, chronic wasting disease. Um, you know, the acronym CWD as it's used, but it, it's important for all of us to understand, you know, what this disease is. I mean, it's, um, and as I'll reference, you know, throughout this is to, for all of our listeners, um, as we all use Google to find out information, the things that we want to know, um, you know, utilize our, you know, PGC website. And in, in Googling whether or not it's chronic wasting disease, just make sure that you're at, you know, our, either our PGC website or, you know, one of our other state agencies or a college or university. I mean, there are some websites that um, are out there that are, you know, kind of, you know, have a different perspective of CWD, but, you know, uh, just make sure that we're using the right source. But I mean, it's a incurable, in, um, untreatable and always fatal brain uh, disease. I mean, and it's caused by, you know, kind of a, what's called a misshape, uh, misshaping of proteins um, known as prions or unfolded is what it's called. I mean, it's really a breakdown of of proteins within um, within cervids. I mean, white-tailed deer, just given the, you know, wide population that they have is the, the primary source that uh, was infected, you know, by this um, several years ago. I think the first case was in Colorado in 1967. And then, uh, you know, here in Pennsylvania, you know, a, a little bit later than that. So it, it's again, it's a disease that is um, is fatal uh, when deer um, are infected with it. The, the major issue, um, Christian, and um, I have been, been studying uh, CWD for now over six years. And, and the reason why 
I, I started on this and my first conversations were with a uh, former longtime um, deer and bi uh, bear biologist for the uh, game commission and then subsequently with a number of other uh, wildlife biologists and every single one of them said the same thing. Um, one, it's never going away. What we know is that it takes 18, um, 18 to 24 months generally is the time that the symptoms of this disease show up in, in a deer. Sometimes when looking at a deer, when they when those symptoms first um, or the deer is infected, you know, oftentimes you're not able to see it. But when it starts to progress, pretty obvious that this animal is not not healthy. When I heard that element of, of, of 18 months to two years and then the other academic um, and research studies uh, indicate that, you know, sometimes this, these symptoms, and the infection lasts for four years here. Well, given the lifespan of, of most white-tailed deer, um, most of them are harvested, um, you know, before they're, you know, four years old. Um, so knowing that it takes 18, 24 months to show up really indicates to me, and, and in the role that I'm in, but when I started on this, because this was a threat to my training business, my training operation, um, and the opportunity to introduce more young people and adults to hunting and hunting heritage. When I heard from the biologists that this is never going away and, and knowing the importance of, you know, not just white-tailed deer hunting, but and, and another point of emphasis I want to make is hunters are a part of the wildlife management ecosystem. You know, um, I think more people think that there are more complaints about deer hunting in, in my district than there actually are. I mean, there are some people, and again, this is everywhere that, you know, don't like hunting. Um, you know, they oppose it, you know, they think it's wrong and a host of other reasons. Um, I try not to argue with people. What I do try to share is that um, we as, as human beings in hunting and, and uh, um, as human beings um, and as hunters, we have always been a part of the management of, of deer and wildlife. I mean, we were formed, as I mentioned, in 1895 because there weren't any regulations. There weren't season limits in terms of times to hunt. There weren't any regulations of, you know, how many you know, deer or other animals could be harvested. I mean, when uh, the agency first formed and back in the um, 1800s, I mean, deer were sold commercially. You had people hunting and selling, um, you know, what they were harvesting, just like other uh, species that we consume today. So what's important, again, about, uh, about CWD is uh, understanding that this is not going away. And the, the, the real important element that I'll touch on is understanding where it started. And it started, and I mentioned in Colorado, in a captive uh, deer facility, which is extremely important for all of us to understand as we try to get our arms around, you know, managing this disease. And, you know, some of this gets down a, a bit of a controversial path. But again, I just want to be really simple and clear of what we know uh, relative to how we, you know, manage and get this under control. Chronic wasting disease was first found in Pennsylvania in captive deer in October of 2012 and in wild free-ranging whitetails in early 2013. How big of a problem is CWD? It's a, it's a major problem, and for a host of reasons, Christian. One, just down to the, you know, kind of economics and um, reason why the Game Commission was established. I think right now we're somewhere around 80% plus minus of the uh, revenue of the Game Commission for what it does in managing the 480 species, but you know, 80% give or take comes from um, hunting pursuit and interest in white-tailed deer. And so with a threat to this species, 
both in terms of its existence in terms of the population, um, but also then as what the um, PGC recommends, and I think pretty much every state that um, has CWD, and the, the numbers of states are growing. I can't even quote what they are right now because it, it continues to grow, is to not consume um, venison and the beef from, you know, deer that are infected by chronic wasting disease. And, you know, I'll leave it up to our website and some of our other um, staff experts to talk about some of the details of our disease management areas. I mean, I'll touch on that, but, um, you know, this is a serious issue. And while it hasn't made its way yet, we knock on wood here in District 8, um, of from where I am from, which is uh, Chester County, um, Delaware, Bucks, Montgomery, and Philadelphia County. It has been identified in, I believe, Lancaster County, our neighboring town here around. So, you know, we're all fearful um, of the if and when uh, this spreads throughout the, the, the state. So, um, and again, with this growing and the potential of reduction in hunting, and again, the, the numbers of deer aren't going to grow. I mean, you know, the number of deer infected by CWD is not going to be a control factor in terms of the, uh, the population. Um, I mean, these deer are going to continue to uh, reproduce. Um, and so, you know, having, um, you know, a sickly population that we don't necessarily know is sickly continue to grow, and particularly getting into areas that are heavily populated with people and deer, this is definitely a problem. We're, we're, we're trying to get our arms around it. You know, my focus and my role is just elevating, you know, where this originated from in terms of captive facilities and trying to address that captive facility element and, you know, helping those facilities to potentially transition to uh, some other aspects of, of what they do as a business. I mean, you know, I, I run a small business and so I'm cognizant of those that have gone into um, into the, what I've always called the deer farming business. But yeah, there's a lot of things are being discussed and talked about uh, with it. How is it spread? It's spread through saliva, uh, feces uh, in particular. So it's that physical contact, um, you know, from deer to deer. Again, you know, deer whose you know, noses are touching each other or deer that are you know, interacting with each other, I mean, similar to other diseases that we have, you know, amongst humans. So um, again, that physical contact from deer to deer, you know, deer that are um, defecating in various areas, um, you know, the urination. Um, and again, deer, like other species, are attracted to those areas, you know, particularly during the mating season, you know, when you're starting to come together for reproductive purposes. So it, it's, it's really that, that contact. I mean, what we hear is, and, and some of the things that are happening right now in terms of control factors, which are um, captive facilities that, you know, have, you know, high fences and double fences to, you know, keep the captive deer from, interacting with the, the wild deer that, you know, may have CWD. Um, you know, those facilities, many of them are, are testing their deer, uh, which obviously is something that's needed and, and, you know, required as as we ask, you know, of those facilities. But therein lies the, the, the challenges that we're faced with as an agency, because uh, we don't regulate those captive facilities. Um, and that is something that we are trying to address as commissioners. What are disease management areas and are they helping with the problem? Um, the disease management areas are areas that um, CWD has been identified, okay, in the, the deer population in those areas. 
um, our uh, biologists and scientists, um, you know, once that those deer have been a deer, a deer, not um, a group of deer, but a single deer is identified, um, have been infected. CWD, some of this comes from deer, uh, and I think oftentimes from roadkill. You know, we have, um, you know, facilities, um, you know, kind of uh, bins, containers that are, are placed in these areas and in other areas where hunters can actually put uh, the parts of the deer um, into those, you know, kind of the skull of the head and others where the um, CWD infection is identified. And then those are tested, um, you know, by the commission and, and staff. And so once those a deer has been identified, that geographic area that is around that area is then, you know, determined, defined as a disease matter geographic area. Um, and so within those areas, I believe we may be up to, she's growing, uh, between seven and 11. I should know this, this, this number, but, um, you know, it's a growing number. It's a, it's a growing number in, um, you know, all areas of the state, again, our, our PGC website has an interactive map there that shows where those are. But again, these are defined areas. And, and so in those defined areas, um, the PGC has put in place, uh, you know, harvest parameters. Um, you know, deer can't be moved out of those areas once it's been identified as they're harvested. Um, you know, so there's limitations we have. We have special regulations, permits that are provided to hunters in those areas because uh, the goal is when those areas are um, established, Christian, is to reduce the herd so that the spread, okay, can be contained within those areas. And the agency is doing an incredible job, I think, across the country. That's been, I think, one of the primary ways to stop and slow down the spread is where these infected deer have been identified is to reduce that population, that area, and then to stop the movement Okay, of those deer out of those areas so that it's not being spread into other areas. And again, whether or not it's animal to, to animal, again, from a roadkill standpoint, and we have, you know, other animals that are, you know, maybe feeding off of that, you know, animal that is, is there until it's, it's picked up. And some, sometimes, as we know, um, you know, deer are never picked up. You know, and so vultures and, and other um, predator species are now feeding off of that. And, um, Obviously, the potential of that to make its way into other, you know, parts of the area. So, um, again, something that's is is a serious growth issue. I have to think the spread of information has to be difficult for people because there's a lot of people out there that aren't hunters and aren't conservationists, and they kind of look at deer as a nuisance. They look at them as things to not hit on the highway. How do you kind of get this information that this is more than? An issue that's just for conservationists and just for hunters. The the important element is is sharing what it is that we know. Um, it's a transmittable disease. I mean, while it has not been identified in humans yet, the the key uh, word in that that um, biologists and scientists have been sharing, whether or not it's from the CDC. Um, to wildlife biologists, you know, at our various state agencies is, is yet. Um, and so I think for consumers, you know, for conservationists, for, for those that are concerned about, you know, our wildlife habitat and our wildlife, you know, the opportunity and potential for CWD to spread to other species, 
Um, you know, and so when we look at the number of disease threats, Christian, that we're we're dealing with as as an agency. Again, I talk about the the number of diseases happening within the avian uh, population. You know, when we have a number of species that are infected, okay, with various diseases, um, it, it's pretty practical to to think that a disease is going to jump from one species to another. And its species being, meaning from potential uh, animal or human. And so all of us should be concerned. What is the Game Commission doing to address this problem? Um, on, a, on a number of fronts. Again, one of the, the, the main elements that I just touched on right now, and, and one of the main elements of, of control um, is, is through hunting. Um, you know, trying to encourage, you know, more people to uh, consider, okay, get getting into to hunting. Um, you know, people hunt for, for different reasons. I mean, you know, myself uh, for deer hunting, uh, I've mostly um, donated um, my venison to a food bank, a local food bank here. So whether or not that's for, you know, personal consumption, and again, for people that are hunting for what we call putting meat in the freezer, venison in the freezer, you know, that effort of what they're doing is helping to manage that population in that area. And so encouraging more people to, to get into hunting and, and then encouraging people to encourage others to get into hunting. Um, I mean, we know just from a, a time and interest or philosophy, you know, not everybody wants to hunt. And, you know, some people just like to see those beautiful deer, which, you know, um, obviously we, we support that, but um, we do need people to participate in this equation, you know, as we're, we're now seeing more predator species um, expand throughout the state. I think every single county in the state of Pennsylvania, um, coyotes are present. You know, I think in a lot of areas, we're seeing an increase in, in uh, foxes. And so that, that predation factor with, with them helps, okay, with the population as well, um, but not enough. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people in most places in the state want to see, you know, packs of coyotes moving through their areas because it'll have more of an impact on, um, on deer than it does than with other species. But, um, and so again, from the education standpoint, uh, you know, with our communities across the state in terms of participation in, in hunting, the other element that we're starting to spend a little bit more time on is not feeding deer. A lot of people like to, to feed deer in their yards and others, you know, because they like to see them and so forth. I mean, um, that is something that we advocate to not do. One, it's not, you know, biologically productive for, for deer. Okay, to be fed, okay, by humans. Um, I mean, in terms of their, their their systems, their biological systems. I mean, they they feed off of the things that they do in their environments, and um, you know, when they're eating sources of food that are not natural or in volumes that are not natural. I mean, they're going to feed when they they want to feed and need to feed. Okay, but when we're feeding them, we're, we're not helping at all. We're actually hurting. When we're feeding deer, particularly this time of year, we're pulling them out of areas that. They would not, they would normally feed, they were pulling them out of the wild. So when people are, you know, um, consuming, you know, deer corn or others in a backyard or something like that, I mean, uh, one, that creates more movement across roadways. So, you know, that's increasing the, you know, potential conflict or, you know, vehicle uh, collisions and accidents. But again, we don't want deer to become reliant on humans feeding them uh, because they are wild animals. So we're, again, from an education information standpoint, you know, starting to, um, to share that. And, 
contrary to some people's belief, and I do sometimes get this question, um, well, if more deer were hit, would that actually help control the population? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no and no uh, on a lot of different levels. But yeah, so we're, we're trying to get at this this issue, um, Christian, on, you know, from a number of different sides. Again, you know, just trying to increase, you know, our participation as people, as humans in the equation is, is what we're trying to, to do, you know, largely. As somebody who's now just getting into hunting in my late 30s, I am more than happy to help with this problem now. Well, we, we, we need it. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's fascinating because, I mean, I think we've heard the term, maybe you use the term locavore, which is, um, I think, a, a term that we, I think, is, has been uh, making its way through our the, the millennial population of wanting to um, eat and consume what one uh, is able to harvest. And, and that is an important element. I mean, a lot of people do hunt for feeding. Okay, themselves and their families. I mean, it is arguably one of the healthiest meats. Um, it's obviously very lean, not a lot of fat that's there. And it, you know, from my perspective, it just brings people closer to, you know, um, what we all eat. You know, I mean, to be able to go out and, and hunt, and again, whether or not that's deer, whether or not those are other species, I mean, they're all a part of of the equation. I mean, there's different ways to go about doing that, but. Um, Again, for, as as what you're saying here, you know, I, as we get off of this podcast, you know, obviously I, I want to be helpful in whatever way that I can to help you um, expand what you can do because there are hurdles. I mean, that, that's you know one of the things that we're we're tackling with the with the game commission is there are hurdles for people getting into um, into hunting, you know, whether or not that's you know people that are in urban areas where there are not a lot of public areas that people hunt. You know, the game commission manages over 1.5 million acres of, of public game lands and then our you know kind of partner sister agency with department of conservation and natural resources i believe manages over 2.5 so you know we've got you know tremendous acreage here in the, the state but um a part of the challenge and opportunity is how can we pro, you know provide some mechanisms for for people that are not close to those areas to then um, engage those areas so there's a lot happening um, with different initiatives, different um, programs. I mean, in uh, city of Philadelphia, the John Hines National Wildlife Refuge, I think this was the third or fourth year that they held a mentored hunt for both adults and youth. Um, and so I participated as a volunteer in one of those back in the fall and hopefully, um, you know, one's coming up, you know, here this last month of the, the season. And then we expanded that in Philadelphia to another park in North of Philadelphia, Benjamin Rush State Park. Um, so, you know, the agency with our partner operations, both at the federal level, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that um, the John Hines National Wildlife Refuge is a part of is trying to tackle this issue as, as well. So, um, yeah, there's a growing number of opportunities for for new, but also re you know, reactivating hunters um, to get back into these activities. Is it safe to consume a deer if it's found to have chronic wasting disease? No. Let's say a hunter goes out, they harvest a deer, they get it uh, uh, butchered and taken care of. How do they find out from that point? I mean, they can, every hunter can have their deer tested. And a lot of hunters do um, have their deer tested, you know, after um, harvesting. So there is a way to, to do that. I mean, our, you know, disease management areas 
you'll have those those tools and resources. But I mean, gear can be tested anywhere. Um, I mean, there are kits that are available as, as I'm starting to understand a little bit more. Um, so, you know, having, you know, one steer tested, I think is, is a part of the equation. I know there are a couple of big, you know, small businesses, new companies that are trying to develop, um, you know, kits to, to make that, you know, easier to do. But again, that's where, you know, what we're doing with our, with our efforts with the PGC and then, you know, through our stakeholders and partners and others trying to get our information out, the information out about, you know, limiting the spread. So that you know we don't have to get to to that particular point. Um, you know, I mean, it's 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 a daunting exercise. Um, you know, we we may be at a point in the the future where every single deer that um, you know one harvest, you know, will be tested. You know, for this. And again, if we think about it just from a, a broader standpoint, what we've seen again with um, the avian population in particular, but also um, in the survey deer community, I mean, we have other diseases that are, you know, continuing to pop up from time to time. There's a hemorrhaging disease called ES, ES I believe it is, um, that uh, is also popping up, you know, throughout the, the area as well. So even with CWD um, being what it is, you know, we can't be blind to the element that something else may may come up down the line. So, you know, what we can do to start educating on some of these fundamentals, and again, it gets back to, you know, what, what I call, and what's called, I guess, sometimes an academic research circle, root cause. We know deer came from captive environments, and I, I do just want to make the, this point, because I try to keep things, you know, simple, kiss. Um, when I first learned about this in the, at the level I did back, I think it was 2008, um, about the the growth of CWD and the way that it was taking place, and and, and you know heard it coming from captive facilities. As I asked a member biologist, I said, "Well, we all know that the uh, three of the main characteristics of a, of a white-tailed deer are fear, stress, and social behavior. Knowing those as a species of prey, and they're captivated." There's probably going to be a level of stress that these deer are going to be under now. And again, if we equate this to humans, you know, not every person, okay, becomes depressed or is affected in the same way. You know, some people more than others, whether or not, you know, it's in a rural environment, suburban or urban. But understanding some of these fundamentals of captivating a wild animal, you know, um, you know, to me, I think is a, is a fundamental flaw. I mean, again, that could be, you know, uh, looked at. I know our, our biologists and others and scientists are, are looking at this every way that they can. You know, the home range of a white-tailed deer is known to be, you know, could be a square mile. Um, but we also know that, you know, during the mating season, um, and again, when, you know, our male deer are pursuing our, our female deer, our does, you know, some will travel five miles, some will travel seven miles, um, some will stay in a particular area that, you know, you know, depends upon the makeup of the deer buck ratio in those areas. And so that affected um, doe buck that's moving around those areas. And again, taking two years for this to show up, you know, it's, it's almost like a train out of the station that you'll never catch. You just got to try to slow it down. What more can be done on the state and federal level to address this? Like a lot of problems, more 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 resources. 
um, to be able to to study this. I mean, um, I think what we are undertaking um, soon, I think on an expanded level, is is education. More that we can educate stakeholders and you know our elected officials in in our communities, you know, across the country. I mean, we're um, going to be starting on an effort. And it's one of my priority points as a as a commissioner. Hopefully, this spring into the summer is starting to educate our elected officials um, in you know areas throughout our state about you know one just understanding what the Game Commission does as the wildlife management agency and the 480 species that we manage, but also embedded in that is understanding the chronic wasting disease factor you know, other threats to our, our wildlife. Um, and, and I'm encouraged about that though, Christian. I mean, um, not a lot of positives came out of, of COVID as we all know, but one of the things that we, I think all have seen is the interest and engagement of the public everywhere, okay, in outdoor environments, in our natural resource areas, in our wildlife habitat areas. Um, you know, whether or not it's local parks or state parks or, you know, game, public game lands, um, community parks. So I think as we, you know, start to educate, um, our stakeholders and our communities more about these elements, you know, the more that we can do. So at a state level and a federal level, um, you know, the more that we can, can garner support to do that. Um, I think, you know, we'll be able to, to address these issues more effectively. Um, and be you know more proactive than just reactive. Where would you recommend people go to learn more about chronic wasting disease? Uh, the Pennsylvania Game Commission uh, website is is one of the best you know resources, and and probably the best. I mean, just given the magnitude of the problem, the amount of um, you know staff and professional resources that are that are there. Not everyone loves the Game Commission, as I'm finding out, uh, being in my role. So some people may not trust. The Game Commission's um, uh, website, but you know other resources such as the National Deer Association. Uh, let's say Parallel, um, if not, you know probably one of the most go-to sources for chronic wasting disease. You know other state agencies. They um, have you know great resources. You know our universities. I mean Penn State University, with you know one of the leading you know research operations in the country. I mean it's done a tremendous amount of work. So. Um, I would just say, you know, just research. I mean, I, I hate just to use the term Google, but, you know, um, is to research, you know, just, you know, what is chronic wasting disease, but also to go to those, you know, reputable sources and, and not those that are trying to, you know, kind of push a, you know, agenda or perspective that is, not a, you know, in the wider interest of our, of the public. Todd, this has been a really interesting discussion, something I've learned a lot from. I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No, thank thank you, Christian. Thanks for uh, for undertaking this. Um, you know, any opportunity for myself and our other commissioners and staff to to share some of these perspectives again, as you probably heard throughout here. I mean, I'm still learning about um, you know the you know deep and wide activities of the Game Commission. I mean, the, the different um, you know areas of staff. I mean, as I talk about the, the staff, I mean, this is the an agency that is at the core are, you know, wildlife biologists, scientists, engineers, professional managers, um, you know, uh, community 
uh, uh, experts, you know, those that are out on the front lines um, in our various communities throughout the state. I mean, it's just a tremendous resource that we have here in, in Pennsylvania, be one of the largest, um, you know, uh, both hunting states, but also in terms of the number of species that we have here. So um, I just ask everybody to come with, with me and us on this journey to continue to learn about um, the Game Commission, support the Game Commission where you can, whether or not one's a hunter or not again, as I get back to my numbers, you know, 480 species, 33 game species meaning hunted, but, you know, that means over 400 other species, most of which are, are birds. Um, you know, we need all the help that we can get, whether or not one wants to buy a hunting license or not, you know, just support us in any way that, uh, that one can. I want to thank my guest, Todd Pry for joining the podcast. Be sure to visit our website and follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more information about upcoming episodes. This has been Hemlocks to Hellbenders. I'll see you out there. Hosting, production, and editing by Christian Alexanderson. Music by John Sauer. Graphics by Uncle Traveling Matt's Random Expedition.